Chapter 1 The Investor's Worst Enemy What if I told you that you were unnecessarily giving up as much as two-thirds of your investment returns? Your first impulse might be to blame inflation or the tax authorities. But inflation in the United States has averaged only about 3% annually over the last 30 years, and most market investments do keep pace with inflation. The highest long-term capital gains rate for investments held longer than a year is 20%. Any tax that claimed as much as two-thirds of investors' returns would surely shut down the capital markets. So where does the blame lie? What if I told you that you are both the victim and the culprit? Every year, Dalbar, a respected research firm, analyzes in detail the returns individuals earn from their mutual fund investments. They then compare these returns to both market index returns and the returns from the funds the investors were actually invested in. No matter how you look at it, the results are not encouraging. In the 30-year period from 1984 to 2013, the broad-based Standard & Poor's 500 index delivered a very healthy annualized return of 11.1%. Over the same period, equity fund investors earned a paltry 3.7% per year, about one-third of the index return. Bond fund investors fared even worse. With the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index returning an annualized 7.7%, individual investors captured just 0.7%, not a misprint, in annualized returns. Inflation annualized at 2.8% during that period, which means that the average investor's return on a balanced portfolio consisting of 60% equities and 40% bonds, did not even keep up with inflation. That staggering underperformance is the cost that individual investors paid for following their instincts on adding or pulling money out of their funds, often at the wrong time, or for staying out of the market while it enjoyed an upswing. Retail investors, they found, underperformed both market indices and the very funds they were invested in. Statistics like these can lead to plenty of hand-wringing and denial. Many investors look at their own returns with an air of resignation. It's not me, it's the markets. Most investors, however, hold the mistaken opinion that their own returns were slightly above average or much better than they actually were. Consider, by way of analogy, this simple question. What kind of driver are you? It turns out that in almost any group, a large number of people identify themselves as above average. In Sweden, where an early systematic study of this simple question was conducted, between 70% and 80% identified themselves as above average drivers. In the United States, a country whose citizens are known for their optimism, at least about their own abilities, approximately 88% identified themselves as above average. In a good sample, though, only 50% of drivers would be correctly identified as above average. Clearly, when it comes to the very definition of average, our self-perception is not particularly accurate. The illusion of superiority is widespread and holds across a wide variety of human endeavors, including investing. It was studied intensively by two Cornell University researchers, Justin Kruger and David Dunning, 
who found that this illusion comes with an interesting twist. Somewhat ironically, the most incompetent people in the group often rate themselves the highest. That crazy driver speeding and weaving across lanes thinks his driving abilities are superior to yours. This is an everyday example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Alas, investors are no better at trading stocks. In the 80s, advances in technology created user-friendly, scalable trading platforms. This allowed discount brokerage firms to offer self-directed online trading capabilities to retail investors. Not surprisingly, investors confident in their own trading abilities were early adopters. While financial firms loathe parting with investor data, two particularly persuasive University of California professors, Brad Barber and Terry O'Dean, were able to get their hands on the trading records of 10,000 anonymous, self-directed investors from a prominent brokerage house. Their work focused on trades conducted over a seven-year period, 1987 to 1993, in which an individual sold one security and bought another on the same day. Then they analyzed whether or not, one year later, the stocks that investors bought had outperformed the ones they had sold. Why is this method of analyzing the trades so clever? Because when you trade one security for another, the wisdom of the transaction does not depend on whether the market as a whole subsequently goes up or down. All that matters is whether, a year later, the stock you bought went up more than the stock you sold. The resulting profit or loss number is a clear and simple way of quantifying the profitability and wisdom of these trading decisions.